right? We've kind of tagged it as we're going to follow along with the church calendar. We're going to see ourselves as a part of the global church. But that global church is not just the church that's alive today, but it's also the church that has died. Uh, for 2,000 years, the Christians have been following Jesus. And um, we have so much to learn from those Christians. And so Christina is going to come today and talk to us about our great-great-grandfather, Francis of Assisi. Good morning. So uh, Francis of Assisi was born in the 12th century, around 1181 or 82, uh, in Italy. And he was born into a wealthy family and kind of had a carefree youth, from all we can tell, a happy, carefree youth. Um, but uh, after he experienced, uh, he, was, he was in a war and he was a prisoner of war, um, he started to turn more and more towards Christ. And his, his full conversion story has a series of stages that are all very interesting. Um, but one of the most important things that happened um, to Francis is that he was praying in a ruined chapel and there was a crucifix on the wall Jesus hanging on a, a carving of Jesus hanging on the cross and he heard Jesus from the cross speak to him saying repair my house and so Francis took this calling very literally and he spent uh, the next months or so repairing that actual chapel because it was kind of falling apart so literally um, repairing the building itself but of course, it became in many ways his spiritual mission, which was to uh, repair God's house, to rebuild God's house. And he did this in many, many ways. Uh, Francis' life is well worth reading about. Um, but his work to build God's house in many ways centered on a commitment to poverty. Um, there are at least three reasons why he felt a commitment to poverty was really important and really central to building the kingdom of God. Uh, first, he believed that uh, a commitment to poverty made him entirely dependent on God. When his earthly father uh, said, essentially said, no, you have, to be, you have to be part of my family and you have to help take care of the business, uh, Francis, he had, his fa earthly father had actually taken him to court over this, and Francis stripped off all his clothes so he was totally naked, and he said, now I can truly call God father because he was dependent on God as his father, not on his earthly father. Uh, the second reason why his commitment to poverty was so important was because he felt it allowed him to follow the example of Christ, who became poor for the sake of others. So Christ left uh, his home in heaven and his uh, situation there, and he became a poor little baby who was part of an oppressed group. Uh, Christ made himself poor for our sake. And so Francis said if he wanted to um, follow the model of Christ, he needed to also commit himself to poverty. And then uh, the third thing is uh, that committing himself to poverty aligned him, allowed Francis to align himself with the poor. And he really believed that those who had wealth were called upon to give it away because they, we should be able to recognize Christ in others. And so Christ became poor because he loved us. And so Francis didn't become poor just because for poverty's sake, he became poor for the sake of others so that he could share what he had, um, so that he could give away what he had. And I think um, we can see in Francis's life uh, a real Advent theme that his whole life was governed by this sense of Jesus' first coming, um, what Jesus had done and how Jesus had behaved, and Jesus coming again soon, uh, that we want to be uh, ready for that and be able to draw as many people to Christ in the meantime as possible. So that's Francis of Assisi.
I might have volunteered. Uh, are, are you hearing me? Might have volunteered for this sooner, but you didn't have this to hide behind before. <clears throat> uh, this has been very interesting to prepare for this reading today. And for some reason, my ears are trying to play tricks on me, so I'm not really hearing correctly. So I hope that uh, the Holy Spirit will use me to say the right things and do the right things. Today's scripture is from Luke 3, 7 through 18 of the ESV. And one of the things I thought about was scripture is kind of a neat thing to read because it's like you're sitting in a room with some people who are having a conversation and you can hear everything they're saying and so you're privy to this, you know, uh, thing that happened or that is happening. And I remember doing that one time when uh, I was at a conference and I walked into a room where the, the director and some other people were sitting there having a, a meeting and it was like I was the mouse in the corner, you know. I learned a lot of things that I never would have learned if I hadn't actually walked in and sat down and just observed all of it. And we can do the same with Scripture. So Scripture is really exciting when you think of it as something that gives you a chance to hear and to see and to be part of something that happened a long time ago and it happened so that we can learn from it. We have in this reading from Luke, John the Baptist is out on the river and so we have a few trees but the river is not, uh, we'll pretend that it's there. And we have a few rocks but there are rocks along the edge of the river. And so just to set the scene for you, uh, he's telling us that John the Baptist is going to speak. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from him, from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds ask him, what shall we do? And he answered them. Whoever has two tunics to share with him who has none, and whoever has food to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? 
And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. This is the scripture. Jesus is coming soon, amen? Jesus is coming soon, amen? amen? Time's short, let's get ready. You know, last Sunday, Pastor Dave encouraged us to think about what it would be like if we were to have a celebrity over to our house. And I've been thinking about this, if I were to have Oprah over to my house, what would I do with my house? First, the old couch would have to go, we'd have to get a new designer couch, and then we'd get some, you know, her latest obsessions I'd have around the house, and she would come in and she'd be like, is that an alpaca throw pillow? And I'd be like, yes, it is. Thank you for noticing. If I had Aaron Rodgers over, I'd have Green Bay paraphernalia, tastefully presented, but there. And if Jacob Collier were coming over to my house, I love Jacob Collier, such a good musician. I would probably just, you know, accidentally leave out my guitar and maybe a few hand drums and, I don't know, a spontaneous session would just break out. Oh, oh you want to play? Okay, I'll play with you, sure. Now, if Jesus were coming over, how would you arrange your house? And, and you see the pattern here that if you want to impress somebody, you show your values. You say, hey, my values are your values. The trick is to imitate the person you're inviting over. So if Jesus comes over, what would your house look like? Well, as a recap, you can see that John the Baptist is asking us to think in this very way. How do we get our lives ready for Jesus, this Messiah, when he comes? And John says, look, we're getting ready. You're coming out to the wilderness, and I'm going to prepare the way for the Lord, if you look there in Luke 3, verse 4. And John is baptizing these people as a religious sign of their repentance, because to be baptized is to wash away your sinfulness and to get ready for the Messiah, who's supposed to provide deliverance for Israel. But John is not a nicey-nice guy when it comes to this. He's not just giving you suggestions about like what your house should look like. He's a little rougher than that. Um, at least the way that I hear him, it, it's like this in verse 7. <clears throat> he says to the crowd coming to be baptized, Ye brood of vipers, who are needed to flee the wrath to come? 
And I don't know why John always has a Scottish accent, but he always does. Every time he says something in Scripture, he's always Scottish and he's very angry. But John is yelling at them and he's saying, look, it takes more than a religious ritual to get ready for the coming king. Yes, get baptized, but change your lifestyle too. Repent, change your mind, but also change your lifestyle with that. And he says this in verse 8, bear fruits, sorry, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Well, to get right to it this morning, I think John the Baptist is telling us this, that readiness for the Lord means giving up our extras. Readiness for the Lord means giving up our extras. And this morning we'll take a look at the three examples that John the Baptist gives, giving up our extras. And from there we'll consider the question of why giving up our extras is good news. I invite you to follow along in the passage today, but here's point number one, you note takers. First point is, give up your extra stuff. That's the first thing that John the Baptist invites us to do. Give up your extra stuff. And you'll notice he says this to the, the crowds. This is verse 10. He answered them, the crowds. Now, the crowds, that's the general population, not just the uber-rich. You might think, oh, this is the 1% he's yelling at. No, this is everybody. Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. They're asking, what do we do to repent? He says, do this. Give away your stuff. Give away your clothes. Give away your food. Extras, give it to the poor. Well, you share your extra clothes, he says, two tunics. Now, a tunic was essentially that base layer, that uh, long shirt that the Greeks and the Romans and people in the Mediterranean would wear. And you really needed that to be part of a society. You might have a coat that goes over it, but that's your basic layer. And if you don't have one, then you really can't be part of society. So he's saying, like, if you, if you have two tunics, don't build your wardrobe, just give it away. Help somebody else be part of society. You don't need the extra clothes. At least not like that unclothed guy needs the clothes. And share extra food. Israel was an agricultural society. Not not like today. Most of the Israelites would have been farmers or shepherds. And so they were used to stockpiling. That's just kind of how it goes when you're in agriculture. You do need to keep some kind of stock. But how much should you stockpile? Well, John says, if you have extra food and you find somebody hungry, give it away. John questions their unlimited stockpiling. And, you know, we do the same thing if you think about it. I've looked at my cupboard. There's an embarrassing amount of food, a lot of it left over from the pandemic. I don't know when we're going to eat all of this canned pumpkin. I'm sure we'll get around to it sometime. But we've stockpiled this stuff, and, and, and if you think about it, a lot of Americans do this. Sometimes they just keep lots of food in their house, uh, ready you know, supplies of all sorts of things. Some people actually have canisters out in their garage or in their shed, or they're, they're stockpiling food that way. It's not unusual in America. I guess what's more concerning is this, actual statistic. The conservative number is 30% of the food we buy in the store, we throw away. That's the conservative number as Americans. So 30% of the stuff that you get from the supermarket, 
goes into the trash can. And, and, and I ask, how does that happen? How do we get there? Well, we buy a lot of stuff and then we don't use it. So it gets close dated or post dated and then we just toss it. Or we make too much food and we have lots of leftovers that we don't get around to. We're, we're just swimming in food, the average American is. At the very least, what that says is that we have lots of extras. But John the Baptist says, get rid of your extras. Give it away. Stop your hoarding is another way to put it. If you got extra clothes, give them away. You got extra food, share the food. You got extra stuff in general, I think John would say, give it to the needy. And what Francis of Assisi knew is that giving away the extras expresses a life of repentance. And you don't have to be as radical as Francis, but give away your abundance. If only for yourself, don't let, don't let your extra stuff trap you. Rather, go and bless the poor with your extras. Uh, and I know I'm not supposed to justify myself uh, from the pulpit, but it's been really hard giving away my extras, partly because when Christina and I bought our house, we got tons of extras in the deal. This is ridiculous, but when we got our house, we got a sweet deal. We came in, um, and we offered a fairly low price, and we got it. But I told Christina, I'm like, just, just say yes to anything from this point because we want this deal to go through. Because they were clearly ready to get out. So just say yes to anything, honey. And so we're working out this deal, and they say, hey, do you want our stuff? We're like, uh, like your stuff in your house? Yeah, 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 yeah. You want, you want our stuff? Because they were radically downsizing. We're like, um, sure. How does that work? Well, just, just come on over, and we'll go room by room, and you can just, like, buy our stuff. They're like, we'll give you a good deal, pennies on the dollar. Okay, so it was the weirdest meeting ever. We went into the, their house, which was about to become our house, full of stuff, full of stuff. And they were like, you want those couches? Sure. $50. Okay. Those dressers over there, $5 each. Sure, okay. Do you want our bed? Well, that's getting creepy. But that was it. It was okay. Yes to everything. So when we moved our stuff in, we couldn't because there was so much stuff already. We've been giving away stuff for four years now, and it's still just going. Nevertheless, Christina and I are invited to give up our extras, and so are you. Here's a second group that John speaks to. The tax collectors who come. He says, this is verse 13, Collect no more than you're authorized to do. Collect no more than you're authorized to do. Well, in tax collectors, they were good at collecting and collecting more than they were authorized. They weren't really practicing capitalism, not in my mind. They were, or they were practicing crony capitalism. They were teaming up with the government to fleece people. They were merchants dedicated to collecting taxes for the Roman Empire which was bad enough. The, the Romans were the bad guys. The tax collectors were Jews tasked with squeezing taxes from their own countrymen to pay the pagans. But tax collectors were even worse. We're, like, we're not talking like H&R Block here. We're talking about people who are professional fleecers. They would add these fees on top of it just to pad their own pockets and if people didn't pay the tax collectors what they wanted with all these additional fees, then they would turn people over to the Roman soldiers. 
So the Jews hated tax collectors. They hated their own people who were tax collectors because they were notorious for their greed. And hear me correctly, folks, there's nothing wrong with making a profit. I'm a businessman myself. I understand this, that profit is one of the main drivers of business. But I'm asking you some questions with John. When is your profit-seeking just milking the system? Do you find ways to slip in extras at the expense of customers or your employer? Are you finding ways to game the system? Are you finding ways of taking unauthorized perks? Or are you always defaulting? Whenever there's some kind of twinge of conscience, do you go, well, it's whatever the market can bear? Are you always defaulting to that? Or asked in terms of classical economics, are you rent-seeking? Are you protecting your little monopolies? Again, there's nothing wrong with making a profit, but are you guarding yourself from some of the hard questions? And John gives a very clear word to this. Stop it. Only take what you are authorized to take. And if you take more than you do, then we'll repent. You know, one of the best ways to show you're sorry for your greed is to return shady profits to the poor. You may remember that this is exactly what Zacchaeus does when Jesus goes to this tax collector's house, Zacchaeus' house. And Zacchaeus says, yeah, I want to get on Jesus' team. And so what does he do? He gives back all that he stole and more. Interestingly, the medieval church did a similar thing. They encouraged a similar thing. There was this practice called penance. Um, We talk about church discipline here. And many of us have been disciplined, including myself, and it's a good and joyful thing. But um, for the medieval church, there was a time of penance. People would say, we're going to put you in this time of probation, if you will, um, to to have you work through your sin. And um, what the church found is that people who were very repentant, the way that they showed their repentance was by giving away their stuff to the poor. That was one of the sure signs that somebody really had... Uh, gotten right with God was that they started giving away things to the poor. And so these disciplinary periods could be shortened, sometimes dramatically, when people show their commitment to sharing with the poor. And that's based off of what John is saying here. Don't take more than you're authorized to take. And then there's a third group that comes forward, the soldiers. And look what John says to the soldiers, verse 14. Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. Roman soldiers were all over Israel at this time. Rome had captured Israel. It was, um, it was ruled by Rome, and so Rome had these different soldiers around the place. And they weren't just there to fight wars. In fact, that wasn't the main job of soldiers. Soldiers were law enforcement. Soldiers were administrators. They were uh, road workers. They did all sorts of stuff. But Roman soldiers were notorious for extorting things from people. They would move into people's homes illegally. They would try to squeeze things from people, extra dues. Uh, We have records on hand of governors who were trying to deal with this problem. It was a problem among Roman soldiers. And John's like, stop it. Stop doing that. I know you can get away with it. Stop it. And, you know, we don't deal with that 
ex extremely here in America, but, but, I, but you know, when you go overseas, you see this. Bribery is much more common. Last time we were down in Mexico, uh, our family got ripped off by a police officer and a tow truck guy who had teamed up together to just start towing cars at random. And then you come out, you're like, no, 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 what are you doing? And, and they'd be like, you parked illegally. Like, no, I didn't. Yes, he did. Which means go to the ATM, get us some money, and pay us off, which is exactly what we did because we were leaving the next day, and I don't want to get put in prison. And that kind of stuff was happening all the time in Israel. And John says, hey, you guys, you soldiers, stop it. Stop this extortion. And you might say, well, we're not that bad, right? But folks, if you're in law enforcement or you're in government, if you're an official of some sort or if you're just a manager, you know this. You will see ways to milk the system. If you're in power for any length of time, you will find ways to get perks. You will find ways to manipulate people. You just see it. And you have to see those temptations and then say no to them. We're not going to be people who steal. We're not going to be people who sexually harass others. We're not going to be people who manipulate. Rather, as Philippians 4, 5 says, let your restraint be known to all. The Lord is at hand. All right, so everybody following so far? So we're giving away our extra stuff, and we're giving away our extra money, not being greedy, and we're giving away our extra power. Give that stuff up. If you got extras of that, then be people who live the giveaway. But I notice in this passage a funny thing. Look at verse 18. Here's how our passage ends. After all of this yelling and screaming from the Scottish John the Baptist, <laughs> verse 18, so with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. All of this is good news somehow. I'm like, how is this good news? I mean, I, I feel kind of convicted and guilty right now. Maybe you do too. But this is good news. So I ask, how is this good news? so harsh. Well, I think part of the answer is this. It's good news because people, the people who come to John, they don't have to live with their guilt or anxiety anymore. John gives them a plan. He's like, if you feel anxious, if you feel guilty, if you feel whatever you're feeling when you come here, here it is. I got a solution for you. But the better answer, the bigger answer is this. It's good news because the people get a glimpse of the kingdom ahead of time. More than that, they get to be part of the kingdom ahead of time. As it turns out, the coming kingdom is full of extras. Full of extras. And John says, you can be part of this coming kingdom right now by giving away your extras. You can give away your extras because you get to be part of the kingdom of abundance. And to be a little more pointed about this, those three examples that John uses actually tell us about the abundance of the coming kingdom. Follow me here. Those three examples that John gives, they're examples of the coming abundance of the kingdom. In the coming kingdom, number one, there's no poverty. 
when Lord Jesus comes back, there's no more poverty. There's so many extras, and the extras are being spread around so much, there's no poverty. Check this out, Deuteronomy 15.4. This was God's plan all along. There will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance to possess. No poor. Because where the kingdom is, there's enough. You don't find people who are in abject poverty. You know, and this is true here at Life Church as well. You know, we really believe that when people come into the kingdom and when all of us begin acting like kingdom citizens, we start spreading around the wealth and we start taking care of each other. Yeah, some people are wealthier than others, but nobody has to be in abject poverty. It's like Acts 2, verse 45. This, the early church was selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And, you know, we do this on a smaller scale every Sunday because you'll notice that when you come here at Life Church, you just consume gobs of calories. <laughs> we have so many calories at this church, right? And the most beautiful calories possible. We have people, we have uh, Grace and Pat and Susan and others who feed us with cupcakes and amazing baked goods. We have uh, uh, Dan and the Carmonies and others who are making coffee for us, really good coffee. And like, if you leave here and, and you're hungry, you've done something wrong. <laughs> we, we have plenty of calories to go around here at Life Church. And that's not just because we like goodies, it's because we don't believe people should go hungry. It's because we believe that the kingdom of God is a feast. And that doesn't mean we have the full potluck uh, buffet every single Sunday, although it's awesome when we do. But that's what we believe the kingdom of God is. You don't go hungry in the kingdom. You don't find hungry people in the kingdom of God. And we get to get in on that. That's what John is calling us to. When you share, you get to participate in the coming reign. Indeed, only by sharing with the poor, says Church Father Gregory of Nyssa, can one become a flawless citizen of the world to come. There's no poverty in the coming kingdom. Number two, there's no greed, tax collectors and others. There's no greed in the coming kingdom, so you don't need to be greedy. Greed only exists in a system where taking more for yourself actually makes you happy. But when Jesus restores everything to its fullness and brings superabundance, greed is absurd. Right? I mean, this is what the Bible tells us. Jesus tells us, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. Micah 4, 4 says that every man will be under his own tree, under his own vine. Revelation 21 talks about all the freebies. It says that in the New Jerusalem, there are priceless jewels encrusting all the walls. And the streets, the streets are made out of, made out of gold. Can you imagine how ridiculous this is going to be? If you get greedy in the New Jerusalem and you're like, I'm just going to chip off some of this gold, ting, 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 and you take this gold bar, you know, and, and, and you hawk it on Craigslist and somebody comes over and they're like, hey, what do you got? You're like, I got gold. And they're like, why are you selling me pavement? <laughs> right? It's going to be so commonplace. There's no greed. And thirdly, in the coming kingdom, there's no oppression. Soldiers, government workers, managers. There's no oppression in the coming kingdom. And so you can line up with that. 
As it was read earlier, Zephaniah 319, behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. And if you're here this morning oppressing someone else, stop, because God is against that. And if you're here this morning and you're feeling the oppression from the world, if you're being oppressed by another, you should know that the Lord's coming will establish justice for you. If you're being hurt by someone else, if you're struggling under an unfair system, if you're being unjustly sued, know that Jesus is about to put an end to all of it. There's no oppression of the elect in the coming kingdom. The king is coming and he will give justice to them speedily, says Luke 18.8. The Messiah is about to deliver Israel from all her enemies and those who work oppression are cast into outer darkness and only the peacemakers will remain and at the center of them the prince of peace. And church, we want to get in on that deal now. We want to get, get in on that kingdom where there is no oppression and where there is no greed and where there's no want, there's no poverty. So that's how the future is going to be. That's the truth. There's just going to be joyful people who know the riches of God and share all their extras in that coming world. But the cool thing is this, John the Baptist is preaching good news. He's saying, do you want to get in on it now? Someday that's how it's going to be, but do you want in on the deal now? So get ready. When the king comes, he will look for people who love the poor. He will look for people who prize fairness and people who champion justice. He will look for people who are brave enough to give away their extras. And in the end, I reckon it won't be so much about what is in your house, but who? I'll end with this. Uh, a couple years ago, I got to meet a guy named Les. Les had just lost his wife, but I was meeting with him and some other people to start a new nonprofit. And um, I was told beforehand that Les had been a very successful businessman. He had wealth. And so I was a little surprised when I walked into his house that his house was not what I would have thought of as a, a wealthy house. It was nice enough, just wasn't a wealthy house. And Les showed us around, and there just wasn't a ton of super nice stuff. Not, not, not like I was expecting. And as Les walked us around, what I did notice is this, is that his house was decorated with so many photos. He had pictures of people all over the place. He had photos of his late wife, whom he missed terribly, but he also had kids and grandkids and all sorts of relatives, but it didn't stop there. As we went through his house, there were photos everywhere, photos of college students, and so I started asking, who are, oh, he's like, oh, those are the college students that we had over here, we were doing hospitality for them, and oh, we had some foreign exchange students, they were with us for a time, and we were loving on these football players who needed a place for Thanksgiving, and, and he just lists up, and he has hundreds of people, hundreds of students, hundreds of young people who were over at his house, and he and his wife took them in and cared for them. And that's all he really wanted to talk about. Couldn't get the guy to talk about his stuff. Couldn't get the guy to talk about money. Couldn't, like, he wasn't interested in that. He was interested in blessing people. I think Jesus would feel at home in Les's house. Jesus arrives and he and Les don't talk about designer furniture. 
they would talk about his kids. And Jesus would say to him, man, you have so much room in your house. Pastor Dave. Amen. Thank you, Nathan. I want to invite you to respond today to this message. Like I said, we're going to have prayer in the prayer room. For those of you in here who might not be Christians, I want to invite you to come to know Jesus today. I want to remind you, if if maybe you've heard this message before, that Jesus didn't just give away his extras, but he gave away his essentials, his very life, his very blood, everything necessary to live. And he came and he died for us, rose again from the dead, that we could have life in him. And now he invites us to give away our extras, as Nathan was talking. He invites us to come and be part of this beautiful kingdom that he's returning to make on earth. And so if you're here today and you're not a believer, we would just welcome you to come into that kingdom and start experiencing it now. Just like John the Baptist invites you, start experiencing it now. You don't have to wait to start tasting of it now. There will be people in the prayer room to pray with you. And if there's uh, those of you who are being convicted like I was with, with Nathan's words, even John the Baptist's words to us of how do we give away our extras? How do we live as these people preparing for Jesus' return? We'd invite you to pray with someone. Don't let what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart go by the wayside this week. So many times I think we just wait that critical amount of time and the next thing comes up and the next, the next thing on the schedule, the next thing to make you busy. But take action now. Be obedient now. Bear fruit in line with repentance today. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this good word from John the Baptist, from Nathan today. Lord, we pray that this word would bear fruit in our hearts this week. We don't want to be those those people who are hearers of the word only, but we want to be doers of the word. We want to be people that are convicted and take action. Not just because we feel guilty, but because we want buy-in in your kingdom. We want to be those joyful members of your kingdom. We want our hearts and our minds to be in alignment with the way your kingdom operates. We don't want to be filled with greed. We want to be clinging, hoarding our possessions. We want to be free, giving those things away, having our hearts ready with tons of room for our Lord Jesus to return. So would you do this? Would you make room in our hearts for you today, Lord Jesus, by ridding us of our obsession with stuff, with things, with money? Would you come and make us more like the people of your future. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.